Eric said, it's Matthew chapter 12, verses 9 through 21. Moving on from there, he entered their synagogue. There he saw a man who had a shriveled hand. And in order to accuse him, they asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? He replied to them, who among you, if he had a sheep that fell into a pit on the Sabbath, wouldn't take hold of it and lift it out? A person is worth far more than a sheep. So it is lawful to do what is good on the Sabbath. Then he told the man, stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out, and it was restored, as good as the other. But the Pharisees went out and plotted against him how they might kill him. Jesus was aware of this and withdrew. Large crowds followed him, and he healed them all. He warned them not to make him known, so that what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Here is my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him. I will proclaim justice to the nations. He will not argue or shout, and no one will hear his voice in the streets. Sorry, no one will hear his voice in the streets. He will not break a bruised reed, and he will not put out a smoldering wick until he has led justice to victory. The nations will put their hope in his name. This is the word of the Lord. Justice has become a bit of a contentious word, a trigger word in our culture. There are all kinds of debates and discussions going on about justice. And my goal has not been to solve or answer all of these. I, I don't think I, I can, far from it. But my goal has been this, to show that justice is not a side issue or optional for those who believe in the Bible and who seek to follow Jesus. It's not just something for those who it's their thing. Justice is a central theme in the Bible. We've seen this the past five weeks as we've looked at various Old Testament prophets. We've looked at Isaiah, Jeremiah, Micah, Malachi, and Amos. If you've wondered whether all this applies to Jesus and in the New Testament, well, this text that we just heard read, it should settle that for us. Matthew, the gospel writer, sums up Jesus' entire ministry by saying, Jesus is fulfilling all that the prophets said about justice. He's quoting here from Isaiah chapter 42. He says, he is the one who will proclaim justice to the nations. It's his message. And he is the one who will lead justice to victory. It is his mission. Verses 18 through 20. Now, I just want to ask you as we start, is this your picture of Jesus, what we just read from Isaiah chapter 42? If you haven't taken time to study the Bible, to read the Bible for yourself, whether you're a Christian or not, what you will almost positively and surely end up with is parts of Jesus, pieces of Jesus, a partial picture. And this happens to people who study the Bible for a living. This happens to pastors. We end up taking parts of Jesus, the pieces we like, and leaving out the parts we don't like. So some people say, I like what Jesus says about justice, but I'm not on board with what he says about personal holiness and sin. Other people are the reverse. They say, 
I think there's value in what Jesus says about personal holiness and sin, but ignore the places where he talks about justice. Martin Luther was a famous reformer. He lived a long time ago. He made an incredible comment about this passage. He said, this passage here, the Gospel of Matthew, quoting Isaiah, is painting the entire Christ. This is painting the entire Christ. If you want to know how to put the pieces together, this is one of those passages that can do it for you. The image that comes to mind for me is when you're doing a puzzle. When you're doing a puzzle and you lay out all the pieces and they're all scattered about and you're like, what is happening? How does this fit together? You need to get the cover, right, of the box and look at the whole picture so you can figure out how the pieces and the parts fit together. We look at that and go, it looks like this. This is the picture. This passage tells us that despite the long and tragic history of injustice in this world, Despite all the injustice now, the wounds of injustice, poverty, hunger, those who are forgotten and oppressed, those who have been abused. This passage tells us there'll be a final and complete victory for justice. That's the title of my message this morning, The Victory of Justice. This passage says we can hope there will be a victory for justice. Jesus will lead justice to victory, and all the nations will put their hope in his name. So for you, for a world that has been so wounded this past year and wondering, will it get better? Can it get better? Can we find healing and hope? The answer given here is yes. But we need to answer the question, how do I know? How do I know this can be true? And the answer is because Easter is true. That's what I hope to show you this morning as we look at this passage. To have hope in what the Bible says about the victory of justice, what we have here in this story and in this passage are three steps that we need to move through in order to really have hope, a hope that's tested and realistic, that's not easy and tidy, but a hope that is solid. So let's look at this passage together. First, there is the apparent absence of Jesus going on here in this story. So at, the, at this point in, in the context, the story of Jesus, the word about him is spreading. What he's doing, it's starting to spread throughout the region. His teaching and his healing, it's all starting to go viral. People from everywhere were flocking to Jesus with their needs and saying, maybe this one can help me. At this time, as the interest grew and the questions grew, at the same time, the opposition started to grow stronger to Jesus. And in verse 9, it says, Jesus went into a synagogue. He went there to teach. That's what he would do. And it says in verse 10, Jesus saw a man who had a shriveled hand, some kind of malformity or disease. Now, the Pharisees and the religious leaders were there as well. They were following after Jesus. They saw something different. It says they saw a chance to accuse him. They saw an argument about the Sabbath, about their law, that they thought they could win and prove a point against Jesus. Now, side note here, isn't this exactly how many of our discussions about justice play out in our time? 
We see them more as an argument to win, to score points for the side that we find ourselves on. But Jesus here, he saw a man. He saw a person, a person who, had, who was broken, a person who had a story, a person who had a need. This was not a debate about an issue over the law or the Sabbath. This is a person who is worth far more to God, Jesus says, than a sheep whom your law says you can save on the Sabbath. And then in verse 13, Jesus says, stretch out your hand. And his hand was restored. And it's amazing. And you think, well, wouldn't everybody say this is something to celebrate for this man? But no, in verse 14, the Pharisees went out and it says they began to plot against him, how they might kill him. This is the first time the opposition against Jesus reached this point, that they said, we need to deal with him, we need to kill him. So this is a major, major turning point in the story. And so with all this going on, what does Jesus do? Look at verse 15. Jesus is aware of this. He knows what's going on. He's aware of the plot against him. He's aware of the great needs of all the crowds. They kept coming to him with their needs to find him wherever he went. And Jesus, aware of all this, withdraws. Do you see that in the text? He withdrew. And we go, what? Why is he running away? And for the people who did find him, he said, I warn you, don't talk about this. Don't make me known. Now we look at this and go, what is happening? It seems like Jesus is withdrawing from all the need. And can you imagine what his disciples are thinking at this point? Wait, Jesus, what? <laughs> Withdraw? Jesus, you can still the storm. We've seen it, the wind and the waves. You can silence them with the word. You can heal. Whatever's come at you, you can heal. You can drive back evil with the power of your voice. You can take the Pharisees. What are they? This must have been so frustrating for them because they, th they, they thought we're not following you, Jesus, to retreat. We're not following you to withdraw. We are following you to see justice be done, to see things set right, to see your kingdom. None of them would have said, now's the time for us to withdraw. They would have all said, why are you doing this? Why are you withdrawing? There's too much brokenness. There's too much need out there, Jesus. You can do something about this. This passage speaks to one of the hardest parts about being a Christian. It's those times when Jesus feels like he's withdrawing, when he feels like he's absent, when we really need him, when we are looking to him with a need. And we think it's time for Jesus to act, and he doesn't seem to be there. When we look around at the world that we live in, at all the injustice, and go, Jesus, where are you? This is also one of the hardest parts about exploring Jesus. If you're here and you have not placed your faith in Jesus, this probably is one of the hardest things for you. As you look at this and go, wait, how is Jesus withdrawing from the pain and the problems of this world? And your own pain, if he's real, if he's there, where is he? And so let me ask you, have you felt this this year? Has it felt to you at times that Jesus seems absent? I would expect, after the year that it's been for all of us, that every single person here has felt this at some level. Where is Jesus? This is why Matthew puts this reference to Isaiah here in this story. 
This is the longest quotation of the Old Testament in his gospel. You know a little bit about Matthew. He quoted the Old Testament a lot. He wanted to make a very clear point that Jesus fulfills all the promises and the hopes of the Old Testament. This is the longest quote in his entire gospel. He wanted to make a point. When it seems like Jesus is withdrawing, when it seems like he's absent and not doing anything about injustice and brokenness and the opposition and all the misrepresentation of him, when people take a part of him and make it the whole and forget the whole picture, he is not absent. Remember the big picture, Matthew is saying. Jesus is not done yet, and he will not finish until he is. This isn't the end. So, friends, when the puzzle pieces don't fit, when you feel like all you have are pieces, it seems like there are big gaps and holes. What goes here? What goes there? It seems like it's not complete. Remember the entire Christ, the big picture. This isn't the end. There will be times that this happens in our lives, like right here for the disciples. Jesus might seem absent. And this passage helps us get to the next step toward hope. And we say, okay, maybe Jesus isn't absent. I can believe that. Maybe he's not finished yet. The story needs to play out. I see the big picture. But Jesus, if you're not absent, what are you doing right now? How is what you are doing now a part of the big picture? If we can come to terms with the apparent absence of Jesus, we then have something else to deal with on the way to hope, and that is the baffling strategy of Jesus. At this point in Jesus' ministry, it would have been really easy to say, okay, everybody, we've had some real success here. We're working for justice, the poor and the lowly and the marginalized. Look, they're being welcomed. Forgiveness is being extended. Look at the crowds who are coming. The sick are being healed. The world is starting to take notice of us and oppose us, but that's okay. The disciples would have said, we have Jesus. We're good. And you can imagine a strategic planning meeting they would have had. The disciples, you know, get in a conference room and they say, what's next here? Okay, crowds are coming. Opposition's coming. What do we need to do? Well, we've got a movement. So we need better publicity. Let's go big. Let's put out our social media campaign. Let's hit Twitter. Let's hit Facebook. Let's hit YouTube. Let's hit it all. Let's become a movement. We have the celebrity. Let's look at the political alliances that we can make because nothing can stop us. That would make sense to us, right? That strategy. But what does Jesus do? He warns people not to talk about it. He does everything he can not to build a crowd. He says, here's my strategy. I got it from Isaiah. I will not argue and I will not shout. You will not hear my voice in the streets. I will not break a bruised reed. A reed was a plant, one of these long plants used for baskets and that sort of thing. I'm not going to break a bruised reed and I will not put out a smoldering wick. Here's the strategy, everyone. Quiet and gentle. <laughs> and they, they go, what? Quiet and gentle? Jesus, have you seen the world? Have you seen the injustice and the need that's out there? Have you seen all the religious people, the leaders who are misrepresenting God? This is a huge problem. This is not a small thing. I know this movie just came out, but I'm going to use it as an illustration. 
I didn't get to watch it yet. Godzilla vs. Kong, right? But I can't wait to see it. They're saying, Jesus, there is Godzilla out there. Don't you see the pain and the brokenness? If you're going to fight a Godzilla, you need to bring out a Kong. And you're telling me, gentle and quiet? How is that going to make a difference? Here is what the passage is saying, friends. Jesus does not. He will not withdraw from a world of pain and brokenness and injustice, but he will withdraw from using certain strategies, arguing, shouting, publicity, crowds, celebrity, force, power, political force. Weren't these the temptations of Satan? Jesus, you can be a celebrity. You can bring your kingdom by force and power. You can build a crowd by giving the people what they want. Instead, Jesus says he can bring two things together that don't seem like they possibly can ever go together in our minds, justice and gentleness. The image here of a bruised reed and a smoldering wick, it's of people living in a broken world who are bruised because of it, almost broken in half, burning out with little hope. Like a candle that has no flame, you just see the smoldering embers. In leading justice to victory, this passage says Jesus will never use any methods that break the bruised or put out even the tiniest little ember. What happens when you use a Kong to fight a Godzilla? I haven't seen the movie. My kids saw it, but I'm sure what happened was Everything got destroyed around them. When they're fighting, buildings smash. People get hurt. Things are even more broken than before. After this year that we've all gone through, our world, our culture is very divided, very tense. There's all kinds of bruises, and many are losing hope. Many people are looking for hope. How do we know it'll get any better? Now, what I want to do right now is to tell you what Jesus was dealing with here in this moment in his world. To give you a little little history lesson, trust me, it's relevant, a little snapshot of Jesus' day compared to our day. Here are some of the people Jesus was encountering. There were the Pharisees, and they said, we need to purify the people. We need to enforce strict religious obedience. We need to To set up the boundaries, who's a real believer and who's not? They were the fundamentalists of Jesus' day. And they said, God, we're looking to you to bring justice on all those who are the religious compromisers, the sinners. But then there were some other people called the Sadducees and the Herodians. We'll put them together. They were the secularists of the day. They were willing to edit the Bible, kind of shrink it out, cut some stuff out. That was hard to accept. They wanted to work with the culture, work with the Romans, bring justice through the government. Then there were the zealots. These were the radicalists. They said, we need to fight back. These were the ones who said, bring out the Kong, take down the Romans with force and violence, bring justice through force against our oppressors. So you had the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the zealots. There was another group called the Essenes. You may have heard of the Dead Sea Scrolls. They were the ones who took their scriptures and their community into the desert. They said, forget it all. They're all wrong. We need to get out of here because God is going to bring justice on all those other people, and let's leave it all behind. Let it all burn. 
Then there were the poor and the oppressed, the outcasts, the ones who were flocking to Jesus. They were oppressed by the Romans and their own people. And they were looking to God, God, would you bring justice on all of them, all our oppressors? You know what Jesus said to them? He said, you're all right. Justice needs to come to all of you. But if I use your strategies, there would be no one left. You would all be doomed to God's judgment because you're all right. The Bible says God cannot compromise his justice. He cannot excuse or ignore any wrongs, any sin, any injustice, and he will set things right. But the Bible also says God cannot compromise his gentleness, his tender love for the bruised and the broken and those who are burning out, people who are worth so much to him. How do these things go together? The only way that justice can come and the bruise not be broken and the smoldering wicks not be put out is if justice falls upon someone else who can bear it on behalf of all of us. Jesus knew this was the only way. This is why this passage in Isaiah about the servant who would suffer was the passage that formed his ministry. Jesus would have to choose to be broken to allow his own life to be extinguished, to save the bruised and the broken. On the cross, Jesus, the chosen one, became the rejected one. On the cross, Jesus, the one in whom the Father says, I, I love you, I delight in you. He became as one treated accursed and abandoned. Why? So all of us, so all of us bruised and broken and burning out, so all of us in our sin can be welcomed in, can hear the words, you are chosen, you are beloved, I delight in you. Friends, we will never understand the baffling strategy of Jesus until we see our own personal need for the cross. Our strategies. Our strategy is we want gentleness for ourselves, but justice for everyone else. We forgive ourselves, but we want to punish other people. But Jesus' strategy is I will take the punishment. I will take the justice due to you so you can know the gentleness and the forgiveness of God. And only this strategy can save us. Only this strategy gives us hope that things can be better. To have the real hope that Christianity offers, not just optimism, not a blind optimism, not just a, hey, happy-go-lucky, things will get better, but real hope in the face of a broken world after this year, after all we've seen and lived through, we must deal with the apparent absence of Jesus. Jesus, are you there? We must deal with the baffling strategy of Jesus. What are you doing, Jesus? But nothing I've said about these things works unless, unless there is a certain victory of Jesus that we can be sure of. Then we can have hope. Then we can have real hope. This passage says... Jesus' victory is certain. He will lead justice to victory, and all the nations will put their hope in his name. So when it seems like he's absent, when it doesn't make sense what he's doing to us, there is something certain that can give us hope. I'm not talking about hope in terms of wishful thinking. There's a quote 
It's in the reflection quotes. We'll put it up for those of you who are watching at home from theologian J.I. Packer. He contrasts hope with optimism. Optimism, he says, is wish without warrant. Just hope it's going to get better. Hope and wish it will be better in the future. Christian hope, on the other hand, is a certainty guaranteed by God himself. Optimism reflects ignorance as to whether good things will ever actually come. Christian hope expresses knowledge that every day of his life and every moment beyond it, the believer can say with truth on the basis of God's own commitment that the best is yet to come. And I would just tweak this a little bit and say, if I can tweak J.A. Packer's words, on the basis of Jesus' resurrection, we can say, the best is yet to come. Friends, if the resurrection is not true, if Easter did not really happen historically, truly, really in history, if there is no empty tomb, if Jesus is not alive, then he is withdrawn. He is absent. He's dead. A dead Jesus, just his example, just his teaching, just the symbol and the idea of resurrection, that is not enough. That doesn't give us the resources or the reason to have a certain hope that things will be set right to get us through times when he feels like he's withdrawn, when he's not making sense for us. But here it is. Here is the message of Easter. If Jesus has really risen from the dead, then his absence in our lives and in the world is really only apparent. He is never absent. He is alive, present, and at work. If death could not defeat him, if what looked like his defeat, if what looked like weakness, if what looked like the end was his victory and his greatest power and the beginning of a new creation, then we can trust in his strategy of service, sacrifice, and gentleness. If what happened to Jesus is just the beginning of what will happen to all those who place their faith in him and indeed the entire creation, if it really happened, we can hold on to hope. Jesus hasn't given up on this world. We can see the big picture and say, it's not over yet. This isn't the end. The best is yet to come. Justice will be led to victory. And we can be certain of this because Jesus is the one who will lead it. In verse 20, it says, He will not stop until he leads this victory, justice to victory. The word there in the original language for led, it's a much stronger word than just led. It means, uh, it, it means cast out. It's the word that's used when Jesus casts out a demon. He will, he will not stop until he thrusts God's justice to set all things right in this world. It's, it means a force that overcomes an opposite force. We can have hope because there is a force that is real and true that will overcome the opposite forces of sin, darkness, evil, and injustice. It is the power and the force of the risen Jesus. One thing I appreciate is when an article about a movie I want to see or a show I want to see and Sorry, one more Kong Godzilla illustration. It's just, I can't wait to see it. But uh, my kids watched it, and they, they gave me a little bit of a spoiler last night as we were talking about it. And I was like, come on, spoiler alert, guys. Spoiler alert on this one. I want to see this. But I'm, I appreciate it when there's a spoiler alert out there, and you say, no, I'm not going to read that till later. I need to shut this off. I need to turn it off. 
you know, or if it's one of your favorite sports teams that's playing the game and people are texting you and like, oh, oh, what did you think of the game or whatever? And you're like, you ruined it. I haven't watched it yet. You want that spoiler alert. Well, here is the spoiler alert that Christianity gives us and gives the world. The message of Easter is Jesus will win. He will lead justice to victory. That's not a spoiler alert we, don't, we want to avoid. We need that spoiler. Because no matter what is happening, no matter how bad it looks, we go back to the big picture. And in the end, we know justice will be led to victory. If the resurrection of Jesus is the great spoiler alert of your life, of your story, you know how it will end. If it is the great spoiler alert of this world, the entire cosmos of all things, we can have hope and we can be certain. People who believe that Jesus rose from the dead, a few final thoughts here before we move to communion. Become people who can live in the hope that justice will be led to victory And who can, even in this world where things are broken and bruised and burning out, be people who bring justice. Why? Well, we know because of the resurrection what matters to God. Everything, body and soul, soul and body. Jesus cared about the hand of one poor person because of how much he was worth, his body and his soul to God, and he healed him. A glimpse of the resurrection. We know that if we believe in the resurrection. If we believe in the resurrection, we know everything we can do to serve the poor and the needy. It is not in vain. There is a force stronger than all the forces of injustice. If we believe in the resurrection, if it's true, we can sacrifice for others. We can give up to see justice be done, to see the poor be served. Why? Because we know what awaits us. Not just a consolation prize, but the restoration of all creation. The world, the new creation will be ours. We can give up now. We believe the resurrection is true. We can, put, we can put aside all strategies that will do more harm than good. As gentle servants, we can proclaim and work for justice, knowing how God has defeated our sin and our failures. If we believe the resurrection is true, we can have hope for any situation, no matter how bruised and broken it looks. We can have hope for any person, no matter how low that flame is burning in their lives. We can say, there is one. There is one who can heal you. There is great power in that. And lastly, we believe the resurrection is true. We know we are never alone. Jesus is with us till the end of the age. Healing and hope is possible, friends, because Jesus is risen. We can have certain hope in that victory. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, sometimes we we forget the big picture. We can't see it in our lives. We lose sight of it. We feel like we're holding just one piece of the puzzle, and there's gaps. And what you do is confusing to us. This morning, the day that we set aside to remember the truth that you are risen, I pray for my heart and all of our hearts that we would take our confusion, you would take those gaps, and you would fill it in. You would fill it in with the hope of resurrection. 
and that we would believe and hope against hope that it is true. Jesus, you rose. And if our hope is in you, we will rise again too. You haven't given up on this world, and we thank you. May we believe it with everything we have. And may we hold on to you, the one who will lead justice to victory. We pray in your name. Amen.